de tu sangre en mis ojos Everybody and welcome to the new episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike. Joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you doing? Bienvenido, satanico hispanos. Or to my English-speaking friends, greetings and salutations from your favorite satanic Hispanic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Also joining us, it's Don and Nelly. What's up, Don? Yeah, what's going on? Always happy to be here. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we are at the end of November, so uh, to kick us off in our post-holiday Fresh Cuts episode, we have an anthology that actually, in some cities, it it hit theaters for like a one night only. Um, Unfortunately, I know here it was was one night, one showing, and I unfortunately wasn't able to make it, so uh, it ended up hitting VOD this past week. Um, and I know Venom, you had a screening for it too, right? I, were you, you yeah. weren't able to make it? No, no, I, I got to see it. Uh, it played okay, for a yeah. week. Yeah, it played for a week out here. Okay. Yeah, yeah it played I, for I a day. You mentioning it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it played one day for me, so must yeah, have been like at, at, the, at the bigger theaters. Um, it, yeah. it was playing like at the AMC's and whatnot. It played for one night, but I, I got, I went to see it at. Uh, a little indie, a, a little Academy Awards theater out here, and they played it for an entire week, so I was able to go see it. Cool. Yeah. All right. So uh, this might have been a second watch. If you ended up rewatching it for the show, then this would have been a second watch. But uh, the movie we're talking about is a horror anthology called Satanic Hispanics. If Venom's intro didn't give it away, which maybe ah. it didn't, because there's probably people that hadn't even heard of this since it hasn't really hit the masses yet, although that'll probably change, you know, the next few weeks as it is 
officially on VOD now, so more people will have the opportunity to see it. Um, Venom, why don't you do the honors of reading the uh, synopsis this time? You got it. All right. Well, there's only one word in here I think that Mike wouldn't be able to get, but our synopsis is as follows. When police break into a house in El Paso, they find it filled with dead Latinos and a lone survivor known as El Viajeror. He is taken to the police station for questioning. And if you want to know what that word is, it translates to the traveler. Yeah, I'd probably would make like more first. sense when you yeah. <laughs> to make more sense when you know what the last wraparound segment is. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would have got the first half of that word correct, but not the second half. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, anthology. So we'll get into obviously the spoilers in the spoiler section. We'll break it down. Maybe get into the, each individual story through the walkthrough. But before that, general thoughts. So, Venom, what did you think of Satanic Hispanics? All right. Well, this is a movie that I had been waiting for pretty much since it's been announced. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, and if you haven't, if you've been listening to me for a little while, I, I really hope you do know, but I am a literal Satanic Hispanic. My family is from Spain, and I am a member of the Satanic Temple. So, but I definitely don't do anything that's done in this movie. But uh, anyway, uh, that's a story for another show. But yes, uh, I've been very excited to see this. I love, I love almost every director in here. I mean, Alejandro Brujes, Mike Mendez, Gigi Saul Guerrero, Damien Ruga. I mean, Damien Rugna, who has my number one movie of the year so far. So. Yeah, I was pretty excited to see this one. Oh, and uh, of course, Eduardo Sanchez. Don't want to forget uh, Mr. Blair Witch Guy. But um, yeah, uh, this was one, like I said, that I had been really um, anticipating, waiting for. And I think that maybe my expectations got a little inflated, if you will. I enjoyed the movie for the most part. I actually really enjoyed the wraparound. In fact, I think the wraparound might be the best segment here. And I'm not sure, you know, usually when you say, when you make comments like that in a horror anthology that the wraparound is the best segment, that usually means that the rest of the movie is probably not very good. But overall, you get varying degrees of quality segments, you know. The one thing that I really do appreciate about this movie and some other horror anthologies that we've seen in the past is that they kind of mix up their genres, uh, their subgenres, um, not just in the sense that, like, you know, vampire, werewolves, or, you know, whatever the case may be, but the fact that we actually get a couple of horror comedy segments. We get a couple of segments that are just very dark, very serious. They take themselves very seriously, dealing with very serious subject matter. And then we get a couple of segments that are actually legitimately funny. Um, one funnier than the other, and, you know, we'll get to that in the walkthrough. But, yeah, I mean, we've got uh, five five total segments um, they listed off as six chapters in the movie, but technically chapter one and chapter six are the same. Like chapter six is the conclusion of chapter one. So you get you get your wraparound and then you get four additional segments. And like I said, they are varying degrees of quality. Some uh, one or two of them I thought were really cool. The ones that kind of dealt with more um, Aztec um kind of mythology and things like that. Um, 
And then the wraparound kind of jumps into that a little bit, too. Um, I thought the comedic segments were fairly well done. Like I said, one was a little bit funnier and more entertaining than the other. Um, the other one was maybe – it started out really funny, but then it got frustrating, but then it ended really well. So, you know, I'll give it credit for that. And then, like I said, you know, a couple of segments with more traditional, you know, like Nuelas, uh, which is the um, Aztec word for skinwalker. So so basically you get a skinwalker segment in here at some point. It's, a, it's not a traditional skinwalker segment, which is something that I do really like about it. Um, it's, it's not the kind of skinwalker story that we've seen in the past. So I do appreciate that. I, I, I maybe had a little bit of an issue with the ending of that segment, but like I said, we'll get to that. Overall, I had a pretty good time with it. Um, a little bit too much CG blood for me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a gore hound. I love my blood. Uh, but there are so many CG gunshots in this movie that it actually gets frustrating after a while. Um, there's this really, really great scene in the final segment with a bun- with a lot of gunplay. I'll just leave it at that. But every single goddamn head wound is CG. And you may not notice it right away, but once you do notice it, you can't unnotice it. And it kind of, you just kind of notice it and it kind of takes you out of it a little bit. I mean, how hard is it to, you know, have a blood pack on the back of somebody's head and, you know, have it explode when they get shot? Apparently, it's a lot cheaper to do CG, so okay. But overall, I had a pretty good time with this movie. This is not a top 10 candidate by any stretch of the imagination. As much as I love every single director here, um, I mean, you know, we've talked about Gigi Saul Guerrera. You know, we've talked Damien Rugna very recently. Um, we talked Alejandro Brujes when we talked about Nightmare Cafe. So, and... Um, and Juan of the Dead, not that we did Juan of the Dead on this show, but I've actually done that on a couple of other shows, including Podcast Under the Stairs. So, I mean, the pedigree here is really, really high, and I think I might have let that mess with my expectations a little bit. Because when I see, you know, it's kind of like if in the mid-80s we would have gotten a horror anthology with a segment from John Carpenter, Wes Craven, George Romero, and... I don't know, who else can we throw in there? Toby Hooper, let's throw Toby in there, you know? That's the kind of talent that we're getting from the directors in this movie. Um, Unfortunately, some of the stories may speak to Latinos and Hispanics a little bit more than, you know, your average American viewer. Um, And, you know, it's unfortunate that some people might be missing out on parts of mythology or parts of the story and even even some Spanish dialogue in here that's not translated because it's just meant to be kind of throwaway dialogue, but it actually adds to the entertainment value if you understand what they're saying. So um, I, I can see how maybe general audiences in this country aren't going to embrace this. I mean, it's sitting on a 5.7 on IMDb right now, which is a little low for me. My rating is definitely higher, but again, you know, you're talking to a literal uh, satanic Hispanic. So, of course, a movie like this is going to speak to me. Uh, even though Satan Satan himself is actually only mentioned in the movie, you know, I mean, there, there are segments with demons and vampires and things like that. But as far as actually seeing Hispanics doing satanic things, eh, I think there's like one segment maybe that might cover that. But, you know. And the other issue that I have with the title, I understand why it's called his Satanic Hispanics. It, it rhymes, it's funny, it rolls off the tongue nice and easily. The problem is 
these are all Mexicans, and in my opinion, Mexicans aren't technically Hispanic. Their language is, but they are not. They are Latino. They are they are from Mexico, Latin America, Central America, countries like that. Uh, whereas Hispanic, I mean, the, the literal definition of Hispanic means of Spain. Um, so, you know, it's semantics more than anything. I'm not going to ding the movie for it by any stretch. I just, you know, want to throw that out there for those uneducated. Never, ever call a Mexican Hispanic and never, ever call a Hispanic Mexican because them's fighting words to us. So anyway, overall, I had a pretty good time with this movie. Like I said, not a top 10 candidate by any stretch. Don't know if it's something that I'm going to be returning to all that often, honestly. Um, I think, uh, oh man, what was that? Mexico Barbaro, right? Was that the name of it? Like, yeah. That, yeah, that Mexican horror anthology is a lot better to me. The stories are a lot crisper. They're legitimately um, tense, uh, atmospheric. This one definitely goes more for the visual, you know, getting to see the demons, getting to see people's arms getting ripped off and heads getting popped off their shoulders, things like that. So, like I said, I appreciate it for that, but... As far as sheer storytelling, I would probably go with Mexico Barbaro a little bit higher. But yeah, again, you know, I've said this a couple of times already, and then I keep talking. But yeah, I, I did have a pretty good time with this movie. It's not a high recommend from me, but if you enjoy content from any of these directors, um, you know, uh, stuff like The Blair Witch Project, Awana the Dead, um, Bingo Hell, blah, blah, blah. Um, I would highly recommend this one, but for the average horror fan, I would say, you know, go into it with a little trepidation, but um, I, I would say it's still very, very watchable, just, you know, not nearly at the level that I was really hoping for, so I'll leave my general thoughts at that. All right, let's get some thoughts on Satanic Hispanics from Dawn. What'd you think? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat with Venom, although I'm uh, probably um, much slower than he is. I liked it, but I'm not in love with it. And I, I think the big thing for me is that I, I think a lot of the segments are just mis misarranged. I, I think the way that this goes from, you know, you have the tense opening segment, the first one, and then you go to flat-out slapstick comedy, the next one. Then you go to this tense and, you know, straightforward uh, third story, and then you're back to comedy in the fourth one. It's kind of all over the place, and it just makes for this really weird and jarring tone that just takes you out of a lot of the stories pretty easily. Um, I, I think it could have been arranged where it, Starts off with the light and comic ones because to me I I loved the the second one the vampire one that one to me is the unquestioned highlight here I would want to see that play out as a full length feature that 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 was hysterical it was funny I I love the situational gags that are involved here um, the thrall the you know the enthralling sequence with the uh, police officers I I don't think I've ever laughed as hard. The sequence with the police officers, I don't think I've ever laughed as hard as I've had at an anthology in my life. That was just one of the most clever and unique things I've ever seen. And it, it's beautifully played out. It's hysterical. Yeah. And I, I, I do like that there's, you know, a fun through line here that I, I would want to see this thing play out as like a, you know, in real time segment. I, I think that would be just really fun and I, I, I like that it starts off, you know, like that. So you get, you know, that kind of a tone throughout the segment. 
And then maybe, you know, you put the the fourth one, which is uh, a little bit more serious, but then it kind of, you know, has its own, you know, comedic touches here and there. And then you gradually go a little bit darker, the deeper into the film you go. But the problem with that is that the fourth one leads into the uh, film as a whole because that explains the wraparound. So you can't really do that where you can't just, you know, rearrange the segments and plop them down into a better order. You have to leave it where it is. And that, that kind of, you know, that it doesn't really make for the film all that interesting. Just, I, I like the segments, but I'm just not in love with them. And the, the first one takes a little too long to get going, but once it does, I really like it. I, I think it kind of just gets repetitive where he's, you know, checking the flashlights way too often or, calling his wife and they, you know, he kind of just wanted to get to the point, especially in an anthology where you don't have a lot of time to play with things. You know, you get in, you get your story and then you get out. You know, again, the second one is hysterical. I love that. The third one was confusing. I I think Venom's going to have to explain a lot of that one because a lot of the folklore in that one is just completely missing. So I didn't understand hardly anything that's going on. What the hell is that thing called, anyway? You said it once, and I was trying to remember it. Uh, Nualis. Nualis. Okay, so I, I thought it was called Nawal. So, and I was way off. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I figured it was kind of like a, you know, Mexican way of, you know, talking about that whale, the narwhal. Uh, Nawal. <laughs> that was the way I was pronouncing it in my head when I was looking it up. So I was like, okay, that's new. So, yeah, um, I, I think you're probably going to have to explain that segment because I was just completely lost with it. And that kind of left a lot of I, – I, I was kind of checked out just because I couldn't understand what was going on. So, yeah, you're probably going to have to walk me through that one the most. And, and, again, the fourth one is fun. Really like, you know, the lore it establishes. There's uh, some good moments there. Great back-and-forth banter. I, I love the, you know, duo that we have there. And, uh, you know, it has its fun moments. And then the wraparound is, you know, I, again, another really fun segment. I like it, but, yeah, it's just kind of all over the place. You know, the segments are just way too, you know, tonally all over the place. And, uh, again, like I said, the, the problems that I had with the third one, not understanding what was going on, kind of left a big section of the uh, middle of the film just really not that interesting for me. But... Other than that, I had fun with it. Um, I can't say it's going to be, you know, a top 10 by any stretch. Uh, maybe it'll be a top 10 when I do the anthology segments because there hasn't really been a lot of, like, really standout anthologies this year. So uh, when I do my top 10 anthologies of the year, maybe it'll make that. Um, I'll have to check my notes to see because there's still two or three more that I have to check out uh, anyway. But, yeah, that's probably where I would stand with this. Um, I, I think it's going to be a curiosity piece for the creative crew more than anything, kind of like what Venom said. I may imagine that, you know, a more Latino or Spanish audience will, you know, understand this much more than I will. So I'm probably just going to leave it at there. I had fun with it, but uh, I, I, again, it's not one that I'm going to be all up in arms and like, you know, raving about a year from now or anything like that. But, uh, you know, uh, for a curiosity piece or, you know, number padding, have at it. All right. Uh, as far as I go, I'm pretty much there with you guys. I liked it. I didn't love it. I I actually found myself 
gravitating more towards like the comedic stuff. Like I, I kind of thought that was done better in this one, um, where like most of the comedic stuff landed to where when they tried to go like more serious, that's that's when it fell flat. And I'm I'm usually like the opposite because I tend to be more specific about the type of comedy I like. But I thought they did a good job. Um, man, I, I agree with you, Venom. Like. The headshots, the C, like the CGI, that was kind of disappointing because I felt like they they made the right decision to go with like a lot of gore. But once you notice like one bout of CGI on a headshot, it's like you can't get it out of your head that every time it happens again, they're using it. Um, I I did like the wraparound story. I found it you know interesting. I, I like you know it, it's one way to do it where you you center on a character telling different stories or experiences to wrap kind of like the overall story so i thought that was pretty well done um i you know the individual stories it, it, i think as a whole it was it was okay some of them were better than the other i, I kind of got a kick out of like the the old frustrated vampire story um when he <laughs> we we definitely get some like vampire tropes in there, but I like the fact uh, of how that played out when you know being on Halloween is like his one night he can blend in. That, that it's not the first time that gimmick's ever been used, but uh, I thought it was pretty funny. And then when he kind of gets into trouble, um, how that went down was like it actually got a chuckle out of me. Um, what else? I you know I really echo kind of like what you guys were saying. I don't have a lot to add as far as general thoughts. I I still think it's worth a watch. I, I like the fact that uh, we get cultural stuff in here that you know it, for some people to be like a new experience, a new way to tell certain stories that they might be a little familiar with. But this gives it a little different flavor. Um, I you know I thought the the cast was fine just not this all the stories weren't the greatest um i agree with dawn the first one took a little while to get set up and uh but i like the idea of like the traveler that that was pretty cool and the way it kind of ends it's almost like a new beginning about to start so who knows maybe they'll make another anthology like a sequel satanic hispanics 2 or more satanic hispanics <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, what else can I say? Uh, um, <laughs> that was an interesting uh, weapon choice. <laughs> <laughs> the hammer yeah, when, of Zanzibar. <laughs> yeah, when it when it first when it first appears on the screen, I was like, I had to have seen that wrong. And then when they show it again, I'm like, nope, it is exactly what I thought it was. Um, I had the same reaction. Actually, I, I was literally like. Wait, is the copy weird? Like, why does it... Oh, it does look like that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I I do appreciate that, like, they didn't... They didn't shy away from, like, violence and gore in certain stories. It's just, you know, I, I was hoping that we would get more... A bigger mix, I guess, of practical effects. Like, as much as I get annoyed by CGI, I, I'm kind of, like, resigned to the fact that Every movie of all budgets is gonna in, in like add some CGI, but I was hoping this one, um, especially with some of the people involved, I was like, oh, maybe you know we'll get like a more heavy dose of practical 
um, effects. But uh, overall, I would still recommend watching it. It's still worth it to to spend. You know, what was it just under two hours? I think. And like with an anthology, it's 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 really a grab bag. I think you know, everyone's gonna like certain stories over others. Um, I, I don't think anyone's going to come away, come away thinking it's all bad. Probably they're not going to think it's all good either, but I, I still think it, it, it's worth checking out. That's the, kind of the cool thing with anthologies is you get um, a lot of different stuff to kind of think think about afterwards, I guess, and reflect on. So uh, I guess, yeah, I'll leave it there for, for the moment, but uh, I'll kick it back to you, Venom. I'm not sure what else I can really add without getting into the individual stories. I, I I can't really like I said the wraparound is probably the favorite my favorite segment of the movie. Um, I liked all of them in like I said in varying degrees. Uh, the vampire story was great, if not mildly frustrating halfway through, and I'll explain that at, when we get to it. Um, the second comedic story with actually, <laughs> and this is one that I actually really liked because of the star. I'm a big fan of Jonah Ray. Uh, Jonah Ray is the star of the, well, not the, not Chapter 5, but he's the star, uh, yeah, he's the star of Chapter 5, um, which is actually called The Hammer of Zanzibar, and it's it, really funny, too, because that segment has a cold open, which I don't know that I've ever seen a horror anthology segment with a cold open. I mean, a cold open is, usually that's the whole segment, you know? So that was that was kind of interesting because they don't because it was the only chapter where they don't give you the title. They just give you the chapter number and it's like what the hell this chapter doesn't have a title and then maybe 10 minutes in bam there's the title card and it's like holy shit they got me you know a cold open in, in a horror anthology segment. I thought that was pretty cool. On top of the fact that like I said it's very comedic. It's very Sam Raimi, I feel like. I mean, when you've got demons yelling I'll fuck your soul over and over, yeah, you're seeing Sam Raimi there. Yeah, there's definitely some evil dead influence there. Maybe even a little drag me to hell as well so oh yeah that's that's one thing i forgot to mention is like that one segment definitely felt like raimi influenced absolutely as soon as yeah. the guy like turns his head and he's possessed oh, yeah. even even like the look of it and then once he starts talking i was like holy shit we got some of some raimi here I thought he looked exactly like the first possessed person in Drag Me to Hell. You remember the spiritualist guy who sacrifices the goat? Yeah, yeah. When he gets possessed, that's exactly what this guy looked like in this one. Maybe dressed a little bit different, obviously, but like the voice was almost the same. The look was almost the same. I, I did appreciate that. Um, and yeah, I don't mind when movies borrow from other movies. I mean, ultimately, <laughs> every movie borrows from some movie somewhere. So when it's done well, I can applaud it, and I I feel like it's done well here. You know, maybe not the greatest Evil Dead ripoff I've ever seen. There's probably a couple of better ones out there, but uh, I did actually, and I shouldn't even really call it an Evil Dead ripoff. It has elements of the Evil Dead in it. That's it. It's not really a ripoff. There's no there's no tape. There's no book. <laughs> you know. Just a, just a hammer of Zanzibar, which I know we're all chuckling every time we talk about it. You guys who haven't seen the movie, um, I mean, we're laughing like we're a bunch of 12-year-olds. So I'm pretty sure you could probably figure out what the hammer of Zanzibar is before we even get to that segment. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, just say this. Uh, hammer of Zanzibar mixed with a 12-year-old sense of humor for uh, punchline. 
<laughs> yep, exactly. And for whatever it's worth, it worked for me. When they when when that dude opened the box and showed it, I laughed my ass off. I'm like, of course that's what it is. What else would it be? <laughs> I mean, you got to entertain people. So I, you know, I obviously my dumb ass was expecting a literal hammer, but yeah. I'm very happy with what we got anyway. And the story, the story that this guy tells about the Popoboa. Holy shit, I'm laughing the entire time. And then when he said he re, he resummoned the demon 19 times, I'm like, what the fuck? How can this guy even walk? I'm going to leave it at that for now. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, yeah, like I said, folks, it's a horror anthology. There's not really a whole lot we can really talk about without talking about the individual segments. Overall, decent direction, good editing. You know, I have no issues with the score. I wish the score was a little bit more memorable, but, I mean, it was serviceable, so I have no major issues with it. Uh, you know, the movie is very pretty. It looks, you know, like a very well-made film. I don't have any glaring issues with it. There's going to be some storytelling issues that I'll have with certain segments as we go through it. But, you know, for the most part, I would still give this movie a fairly good rating. Um, it wouldn't really, it wouldn't even make my top ten as of right now with the rating that I would give it. But, like I said, still well worth watching. Um, a pretty good entry for, you know, the post-October, uh, November, uh, you know, Halloween season, as a lot of us uh, celebrate Halloween into November, because my Halloween decorations are still up. I don't care. Uh, they ain't coming down until uh, it's December on the calendar. That's just the way I am, folks. I, I respect Thanksgiving. <laughs> anyway, all right, folks, that's going to be your final spoiler warning. Uh, we're going to go ahead and start talking about these individual segments and get everybody's opinion on them. If you have not watched Satanic Hispanics yet and are mildly interested from our spoiler-free review, go ahead and pause the podcast, come back, and listen to the rest if you'd like. If you've already seen it or don't care to, then go ahead and join us for our walkthrough. So, Let's begin. Our movie opens up with a scene at a house in El Paso. We see police SWAT teams uh, basically breaking down the doors to get into this uh, facility. It's like a big house, almost like a mansion. And when they get the doors open, they see that it's just a slew of dead bodies. And by the way, did you guys notice that all five directors are play dead bodies in that segment? I figured as much because I noticed Gigi. She was pretty obvious. Exactly. Gigi's definitely the most noticeable. But, you know, because I'm well, the fan of Because I know guys. what she looks like. Exactly. She's also the one I know what she looks like. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. I, definitely. I, I noticed her, and then it was I, I thought, oh, maybe because she directed this specific portion. But then, now that you mention it, that they were all dead bodies, I was like, oh, okay, that makes yeah. even more sense. And yeah, obviously, I, I, was... Okay. I figured as like I'm saying, I figured as much because I caught Gigi. So then it was like, okay, well then if she's there, then that must mean that you know the other directors are probably playing cameos. So yeah, there you go. So yep. So yeah, uh, be be vigilant when you're uh, watching this opening scene and see if you can pick out all the different directors. Obviously, Gigi's the most noticeable. She's a beautiful lady. So yeah. Anyway, as the SWAT team is going through this facility, everyone is dead. They end up getting to a cor uh, well. I guess they don't know it's a corpse. It looks like there's a guy sitting on a chair with a gun in his hand. He's got a revolver in his hand, like a Glock 9mm or something. Uh, and then we see a chain pull 
the arm, and it's it's obvious to us as the audience, but it's not obvious to the police, which makes this segment, this part of the segment, a little comical. Um, uh, you can see that a chain is pulled from off screen, and the hand of the guy uh, in the chair, the, the 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 hand with the gun in it, raises up, and it looks like he's pointing it at the cops. The cops then empty about 40 to 60 rounds into the body with, with automatic weapons, of course, just blowing the shit out of it. They stop, and then suddenly the chain is pulled again. The arm comes up. The gun is pointing at the cops. The cops once again empty. They each empty a clip into this fucking body. The body is just riddled with bullets. And at this point, me and my wife are laughing because it's like, do you really not see the chain? And then they do it a third time, chain gets pulled, gun comes up, and they once again empty a clip into the body. Finally, one of the cops standing in the front realizes that there's a chain connected to the guy's hand. They walk into that room, and what's connected to the other end of that chain is uh, just a random guy who is trying to escape the facility, the the building that they're in. Um, He's obviously chained to the dead body, the dead guy in the chair, but he's trying to get out. Once the police notice him and tell him, you know, freeze, blah, 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 he just does not want to have to deal with the police. So he picks up a meat cleaver and actually chops at his hand. He doesn't chop below the handcuff, like below the, the uh, yeah, well, yeah, the handcuff that's chaining him to the other guy. He actually tries to cut his hand in half so that he could just kind of slide it through and then escape from the police. Unfortunately, the police are able to apprehend him uh, before he gets away. They end up taking him to the police station, and this is where um, a, you know the bulk of the movie really begins. We get the first chapter number, of course, this is chapter one, and it is called The Traveler. And we are, and the survivor from the uh, opening segment is, um, he is the traveler. He introduces himself as a certain name, but it turns out to be a fake name, so it doesn't really matter. And he is our storyteller for this entire film. And uh, basically, they are, you know, they're trying to question him what is going on, and basically he looks at them and says, look, I haven't committed any crimes. Uh, I think you should let me go because if I'm still here in 90 minutes, we're all dead. And I kind of like when movies do that too, where they actually use the runtime of the movie because the movie's an hour and 45 minutes. And he says that line literally right around the 15 minute mark of the film and when, when there's 90 minutes left in the movie. So I do kind of like when they uh, kind of play around with the movie duration time and, and the uh, time of the film. So that's pretty cool. Um, so he basically tells them, you're, you know, you're, uh, if, if you don't let me out of here, something is coming after me. And they ask him, well, what exactly is coming after me? And he says, San la Muerta. And that is, of course, um, the saint of death uh, or death saint, if you will. But, um, yeah, he basically is telling the story about, you know, trying to get away. And obviously the cops aren't believing him. And they tell him, please, explain it to us. Explain what is going on in the clearest way that you possibly can. And this is where we go into our first real segment. And the nice thing about this movie is that all the segments do kind of connect with the wraparound, you know, in the sense that they – that. Um, 
what do you call it? The traveler has a bag of artifacts that he keeps with him. Good luck charms, as he calls them. And each charm has a story. And he definitely has more than just four charms there. There's probably like about a dozen of them. Uh, one of the things that he's carrying is literally a severed human finger with a ring on it. But the cops never pick that one up. So we don't get to hear the story of the severed finger. Um but the one thing they do pick up is it, it looks almost like a bullet for, like, an old musket, like an old-timey bullet. And the guy says, well, yeah, that bullet is a holy bullet. It's made, basically, um, there are wood shavings from the cross that Christ was hung on. Those wood shavings were then um, were then uh, combined with the melted steel from the nails that uh, put th- that held Jesus up on the cross. Uh, they were melded together and they were formed into a series of bullets. And these bullets supposedly have the ability to kill demons because obviously it's got sh- wood shavings from you know Jesus's crucifix. It's got the steel from the uh, the nails that were used on them. So you know it makes sense that it's a very holy bullet. So I'll accept it for now. At this point, we get into our first real segment, um, not counting the wraparound. Uh, And this is chapter two, and it is called También lo vi. And in English, that means I saw it too. Our movie opens up with a guy kind of playing a Rubik's Cube. He's arguing with someone. I'm not sure if it's someone he's in a relationship with or if it's like a manager or a friend. Because it seems like this guy is actually a competitive Rubik's Cube, um, you know, solver. And he's sitting there at his computer and he's trying to break the record of eight seconds. Um, to or or they're saying that at one point he was able to solve a Rubik a Rubik's cube in eight seconds, but that that was still two seconds short of the world record, and that that's what he's kind of been working towards. Unfortunately, something is happening in his head in his house, and he and he can't seem to even break a minute. Like, like he's he's solving the Rubik's cube in like over a minute, which is very very off for him. Um, and then he starts talking to the woman that he's talking to about potential supernatural events that are taking place in his house. Um, well, it's, it's, it's his house, but it also was his grandmother's house. So obviously he inherited. I think the woman he was talking to was his sister because they both called her grandma. I do remember that uh, uh, at one point they both say grandma's house. So I think they were brother and sister. So let's go with that. Um what ends up happening is uh, a pizza delivery guy uh, delivers a pizza to this guy. He makes the pizza delivery driver go up into his house so that he can show him something. And what the guy is doing is apparently he has this, uh, I don't want to say mnemonic device, but like a shortcut that he uses for solving a Rubik's Cube incredibly quickly. And apparently what he did was he translated that um that the tool that he uses uh and he and he started doing it with lights the the flashlight on his camera and then uh in combination with the lights in his house he was also saying some quote unquote magic words if you will but the words were like red blue green light 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 no light you know just stuff like that it, it just sounded like he was being crazy um obviously we don't see anything at this point uh the pizza delivery driver just leaves disappointed because he didn't get to see anything and eventually our guy ends up calling a medium to come over to the house and kind of check it out. 
while the medium is there, um, our main character does the combination of lights and, and chanting and, and the words that he's using. And he keeps asking the guy, did you see it? Did you see it? And I, we as the audience don't see anything. He, he does it again. And this time, finally, we see the image of like an old woman kind of duck back into the closet at the end of the hall, which is where he's pointing the light on his camera. So finally, the medium sees it, and something about the image freaks him out, and he ends up just leaving the house. He's just like, uh, I didn't see anything. I'm, I'm going to get out of here. You know, just very abruptly leaves. Um, yeah, he, he, said, had, he said, didn't he say, like, mm-hmm. don't do that again or something like that, too? Something along those lines, yeah. Don't so do yeah, so obviously, like, he, the medium either saw something or disturbed, but I, thought, I think at that point they – they flash we did see something it, yeah. to us too, yeah. That's what and I mean. We see we see the old woman in the mirror. I forgot if you already mentioned it, but isn't the main guy in this segment not the medium, but the the Rubik's Cube solver guy? Isn't he the younger brother in When Evil Lurks? Ooh, you might be right. I thought that dude looked familiar. You might yeah, actually yeah. be very very right. Because I I remember watching it, and I was like, where I was like, I know I've seen him in it. It was, like, recent, and I was like, holy shit, I think he's the younger brother in uh, When Evil Lurks. So. That, that's quite possible. It definitely looked uh, familiar. Obviously, you know, we'll look it Ruben up later. Direct, since Ruben is directing it, I wouldn't put that past him. Since, and that's the other thing, too, is that um, IMDb doesn't actually tell us which director directs which segment. No, you, um, you, It's in the movie. I know it's in the post-credits on the movie, yeah. but... I wasn't paying attention. I figured IMDb would have it because they always have it, and in this instance, they don't. I do know who directs a couple of the different segments, but I just don't know who which director goes with every single segment. You know, maybe Don or Mike will be able to uh, help me out. All right, so uh, go ahead. I'm just saying, uh, give me one second here. I can tell you who does what. Oh, okay. Well, just tell me who did this one while we're Uh, here. This one's Rupin. Okay, so Damien Rugna went ahead and uh, directed this one, our, the director of Terrified and the most recent When Evil Lurks that just came out a couple of months ago, now available on Shudder. Highly recommend it. So at this point, um, the guy is kind of frustrated because the medium took off, the pizza guy didn't see anything, um, and he's not really getting any help. At the same time, his sister is trying to convince him to go to a competition in Japan so that he can try to make up some of the money that he owes his sister. Apparently, you know, she lent him some money earlier, and she's just looking for a way for him to earn some money so that he can do it. But because he's having trouble, you know, with the Rubik's Cube, he doesn't want to go. He's like, I'm just going to embarrass myself. You're going to lose your entry fee. Let's just forget about it. But after trying to show um, the medium and the pizza guy what was going on in his apartment, he calls his sister back and he basically says, "Okay, I'll go to Japan. That's fine. Uh, you know, I'll do, I'll, I'll do it." At that exact moment when he says, "Okay, I'll go to Japan," we get the first big jump scare of the movie where we see just a emaciated body. Actually, emaciated is not the right term. Just tore the fuck up, I think, is a better way to put it. Multiple broken arms and legs. The mouth is, like, dug out. Like, it's a gnarly-looking... Like, the neck is broken. Um, It's a pretty gnarly-looking ghost. And, uh, basically, he sees the ghost. And unlike other horror movies, when he leaves the room and comes 
comes back and the ghost would be gone. Nope, it's still there. It actually never leaves. Uh, It's there. He can see it. He ends up going to call his sister um, so that he could send pictures of this thing to her. He does eventually end up taking pictures. I don't think there was much of a culmination. Oh, right, right. Uh, We'll get to that in a little bit, actually. Um, So he ends up sending pictures of this dead body, this ghost, that's under his kitchen table to his sister. And at the exact moment that he does that, the medium comes back. The medium is back at his apartment and basically just barges into his apartment and goes right back upstairs, right back to the spot where he originally saw the spirit. Um, At this point, obviously our main character is like, you know, he's trying to get the medium to go to the kitchen because there's a goddamn mutilated body that's moving and advancing towards me in my kitchen. But this old guy is fixated with what he saw upstairs. As it turns out, he ends up admitting to our main character, that was my mother. I saw my mother that day. My mother died years ago from a, you know, I forget, car accident, bus accident, whatever the hell it was. And he's like, I saw my mother and I want you to do it again. And the guy basically, unfortunately at this point, um, the guy, uh, our main character's hand is broken because he actually broke it when, when the first jump scare happened, he, he fell off his chair and he broke a couple of fingers on his hands. And there's a gnarly scene where we see him, like, snap him back into place. Ah, that just looks painful as shit. Uh, so anyway, he finally gets the medium to go back downstairs to the kitchen so that he could see what's under the table. And the medium looks right at the thing and just starts breaking down, crying. He falls to his knees, and then he actually embraces uh, the spirit, specter, whatever you want to go with, and starts saying, Mama, Mama, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I couldn't save you, blah, 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 you know, something along those lines. And then the... um, At one point when the medium first got there, I I did skip a little important piece. When the medium first got there, the medium basically said that combination of lights and words that you've been using potentially is the combination to open up the portal between the land of the living and the land of the dead. So that's basically what we're getting in this segment. This guy accidentally opened a portal to the, the world of the dead by using his Rubik's Cube shortcut but transferring it to lights and sounds instead of movements on the cube itself. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. Eventually, um, the medium gives them the idea of you need to close that portal. You can't leave that portal open because things are going to keep coming into this world that shouldn't be here. Um, So the guy is like, well, my hand is broken. I can't really do it now because that's the hand that he uses to hold the phone. Because he basically holds the phone in one hand, and then he has the house light switch uh, with the other hand. And he's doing the little combinations of light on, light off, light on, light off, light, 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 <laughs> red, blue, green, red, blue, green. It's kind of funny. Um, but he, like I said, he can't do it because his arm is broken. So – or his, his hand is broken, fingers, I guess. Um Eventually, he's like, well, fuck it. I I can't have dead bodies just walking around my house. So he decides, okay, I'm going to do it. And he figures out what the opposite of what he was doing was. Uh, He figures out, you know, what the opposite is, and he does it. (laughs) As soon as he finishes doing it, um, 
the medium and his mother, who are still in an embrace, just blow up into a fucking pile of blood. There's a couple of body parts left there, but it's just bleh, just an explosion of blood. Um, I'm not sure if maybe when he closed the portal, it dragged the medium, you know, with his mother back to the other side or not. But yeah, that dude's definitely dead at this point. Um, and then he freaks out a little bit and runs out of the house, runs uh, – when he's outside of his house, he turns around and looks back into his house, and he sees that there's someone standing there. Doesn't know who it is. It just He can tell that there's someone in his house. Finally, the figure walks into the light, and it's him. It's actually his doppelganger, but he's got blood all over him. It looks like he's been injured in some way. So he's looking, and he's like, what the hell? So then he goes and does the combination again. Uh, you know, the, the, the light lights on, lights off, and the color combination to try to close the portal. Instead, what he does is he ends up transporting himself back to the original, to the first scene in this segment where he's trying to show the pizza guy the, uh, the ghost at the end of the hall. And that's pretty much where our segment ends. So I'm assuming this segment is what time loops and potentially um, predicting the future. Cause I think the guy basically saw his own dead body there at the end. And then maybe, you know, when he did the combination again, he was thrust back into the portal and back to the original scene where he's trying to show the pizza guy, the, uh, the ghost in his house. So um, that's my interpretation. What do you guys think? That That's the best explanation I have. I, I actually liked, uh, this segment fairly well. I thought the the practical effects in this one, especially that body in the kitchen, like yeah. the various stages of that, and then when the medium is hugging it because he thinks it's his mom, and they they show like the face and the head kind of like rise up and like the look of the um, it was pretty grotesque and pretty yeah. well done. And the way it ended, I wasn't a hundred percent on the interpretation, but I took it as like some type of time loop thing, probably. Yeah, yeah, time loop, living dead, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, time loop was my best guess as well. Yeah, it's definitely, it's it's, a, it's an ambiguous segment because, you know, it, it's kind of up to your interpretation as the viewer as to what's going on. But ultimately, the tension is good throughout the segment. We get, a, you know, we get a couple of really cool, uh, gory sequences, one with the body and then one with the body and the medium exploding. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, it's a good first segment. Definitely, you know, not the best segment in the movie, but a good way to start. All right. So after that, we are, we are transported back to, uh, the police station, back to our wraparound segment where the traveler is still there talking to the police officers. Oh, by the way, uh, the male police officer is Greg Grunberg from Big Ass Spider, among, amongst other things. I know he's done a lot of different stuff, but I love Big Ass Spider, and I know him from Big Ass Spider, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, let's see. Um, at this point, um, the uh, the traveler, or should I say the other police officer, the black lady, she brings in a bag of his possessions, just these little trinkets that he had, and, he, and that's when he explains to the cops, these are my good luck charms. Um, you know, they all have a story, and, you know, I, I just picked them up along the way. At this point in the story, they this is where they also figure out that the name that this guy gave isn't real. Basically what they did is they took his mugshot 
and they ran it through the system to see if he has any priors. What they ended up finding was that he had mug shots from the 90s, from the 80s, from 1973, and this guy looks like he's about 20. You know, he definitely does not look like he was around in 1973. I was around in 1973, and I look old as hell. So, yeah, definitely not uh, this guy. So, obviously, there's something weird going on with this character. The police officers come back into the room with his trinkets, and this – actually, no, he explains that in the next segment. So, at this point, they start asking him about some of the trinkets. And the fact that there's a severed finger in there and the cops didn't go after that one first kind of freaks me out. Because they actually just pulled out a ring, uh, just a, a black onyx ring. And they're like, okay, so what's, this, what's the story of this uh, trinket? And he says, uh, do you remember a few years ago when there was a string of murders in your city? And the, the, the movie takes place in El Paso. I don't know anything about El Paso, but the cops are like, well, which one? You know, we've had a lot of strings of unsolved murders. And then, the, you know, the traveler says, yeah, but these were different. These, uh, uh, the bodies were all drained of blood. And then, you know, Detective Arden, Greg Grunberg's character, basically says, oh, shit, you're not going to tell me a vampire story, are you? And he looks right at him and says, you bet your fucking ass I'm going to tell you a vampire story right now. And that, this is when we get into our next segment, uh, chapter three, called El Vampiro, which very obviously means the vampire in Spanish. Um, the yeah, segment so opens is, up. Well, oh, this is Eduardo's. I was going to say, this is Eduardo. Thank you. Thank you. Eduardo Sanchez uh, directed um, El Vampiro. Our segment opens up in a bar, and what we see is the vampire has already killed almost everyone in this bar. There's people lying dead. <laughs> this vampire de definitely has a sense of humor, because rather than just drinking the blood out of one of his victims, he actually pours out shots, lines them up on the bar, and then just you know, shoots them all down like he's doing a string of tequila shots or whatever. Kind of funny, actually. Um, and this is all in a sea of dead bodies. There's just dead bodies all around him. Uh, finally, the camera pans off to the left, and we see that there's still one more person left alive in the bar, and she's hiding. Uh, the vampire apparently doesn't notice that she's there. She tries to sneak out the front door. Unfortunately, the front door has a bell on it that goes off every time the door opens. She runs out of the bar. The vampire gives chase. And as soon as he gets outside and has is, you know, and, and the girl, the escapee, is in his eyesight, he basically just says stop. And she goes into a trance and she just stops. So, you know, vampire... Um, kind of, uh, what do you call it, hypnotism, vampire hypnotism, if you will. So basically he's controlling this girl. And at that exact moment, uh, some guy who's walking his dog walks by, looks down at them, and now obviously this is a real vampire who's about to kill someone. He looks at the guy. Oh, I forgot to mention. I am so sorry. I forgot to mention it's Halloween night. Totally forgot to mention it's Halloween night. It is Halloween night. Um. So basically, he looks at the guy as his victim is right there next to him, not dead yet. He hasn't attacked her yet. She's still hypnotized. And he looks at the guy and he goes, I want to suck your blood. You know, very Bella Lugosi, if you will. Not that Bella Lugosi ever said that line, but, you know, the, the people who make um, impersonations of Bella Lugosi love to say that line. The guy, the guy who's walking his dog says, fucking Halloween. I hate this holiday. And he just walks away. 
the vampire at that point then takes uh, a bite from the girl's neck, drains her blood, blah, blah, blah. Uh, at this point, he ends up getting a phone call from someone. And yes, this vampire carries a cell phone. Not a smartphone, my friends, a flip phone. <laughs> I love that. Um, so, yeah, he, he answers the call on his flip phone. And on the other line is a woman who's sitting in a coffin. Um, it looks like she's about to go to bed, you know, go into the coffin as the sun, you know, maybe will rise. And he start, she starts yelling at the vampire. And the vampire is like, what? What's your problem? I wanted to go out and get something to eat. It's Halloween night. It's the only night that I can mingle out in public and do what I love to do. Um, and the lady said, and the lady's like, yeah, but have you ever heard of daylight savings time? Kind of funny, but also kind of frustrating because this vampire is 500 fucking years old. How is he only learning about daylight savings time in 2023 is just And when is daylight savings associated with Halloween? Um... Actually, you are correct. Uh, I, I actually looked it up because I wasn't sure. Uh, the earliest um, time change we've ever had is November 1st. I believe it happened sometime in the 90s. So I don't think we've ever had a time change in October. I think it has to be in November, and th that's why the oldest one I could find was November 1st. But again, it's off by a day, so I'll give it a pass. Um, but anyway, like I said, like like vampires don't use watches. Like you would think that a vampire would naturally know when the when the sunrise is coming without having to look at a watch or look at the sky or whatever they you know they should just sense it um but yeah this guy's such an idiot and the lady is not shy about calling this vampire an idiot even though he's the one who tr who ch changed her He's 500 years old. She's 198 years old. And they, they actually get into an argument about how she – you're just a baby. I don't care that you're 200 years old. I'm 500 years old. You're just a child. And, uh, and basically he's like, well, please come and pick me up. Please come and get me. And she's like, dude, the sun is coming up in 15 minutes. You actually want to risk my life for your stupid ass? And, you know, this is when the guy gets crazy. You know, I am your master. I command you, blah, blah, blah. And the girl on the other line has a look on her face of just, did you just fucking say that to me, really? And and that's exactly what she says. Uh, you know, she's like, I hate when you say that shit. You're not my master. Um, because they're a couple. They're together. So, yeah. Anyway, um, hilarity ensues. Uh, the vampire is trying to figure out a way to get back to his home, but he's far away from his home. He's, he's definitely way more than 15 minutes away from his home. So he's trying to figure out ways. He steals a scooter, you know, one of those electric scooters from somebody, um, trying to get away. Uh, during another segment, he tries to turn into a bat. Apparently, this guy used to know how to turn into a bat, but just forgot because he hasn't done it for in so long. So literally, it was like a scene out of what we do in the shadows where he's just going, become a bat, become a bat. He just keeps repeating it and flapping his arms around, and it's just not working. Fucking hysterical. Um And, and then he gets the scooter, like I said. While he's on the scooter... Um, it almost seems like he's going to make it home because he's got a smile on his face. You know, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine those scooters go very fast, 20, 25 miles an hour, maybe. Um, but he's definitely in a much better mood now that he got the scooter. Um, and then suddenly he gets pelted with eggs. 
somebody who's throwing eggs at him. He falls off the scooter. When he gets back up, what he finds are three full, full ass grown adult men, three men, not kids, full ass grown men, um, basically laughing at him, saying, what a dumbass, blah, blah, blah. He ends up getting up and yelling at them because he's wearing his favorite shirt. He's like, I love this shirt. You guys just ruined it. They start laughing their ass off. And, you know, because obviously this guy looks old. He he must have been in his 50s or 60s when he got turned because, you know, that's pretty much how he still looks. Um, he looks much older than the woman he's with, definitely. Um, but anyway, these three guys are laughing at him. The vampire gets pissed off and lets out a shriek, like a, a deafening shriek. The three guys suddenly realize, oh, shit, uh, I think we fucked up. They run away. The vampire gives chase. He ends up cornering them in an alley and <laughs> proceeds to just mutilate them. He takes one guy and rips his arm off, beats him to death with it. Then the other guy, he pulls out his heart. Unfortunately, I don't know why they chose this, but these kills are only shown in silhouette, like in shadow. Um, This is a very gory movie, so I don't know why they didn't just show us these kills. It would have been great to see, but I guess it's an artistic thing. Um, so, you know, he rips off the guy's arm, beats him with it. Then he goes to one of the other guys, rips his heart out completely. And then, you know, looks down at the third guy who's on the ground. Uh, and basically he starts to approach him. The guy on the ground says out loud, oh, I know what you are. And then we see him grab a broom handle and break it in half. And then he uh, proceeds to impale the um, the vampire with uh, the broom handle. Uh, obviously, the vampire starts reacting very violently. Oh, my God, blah, 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 you know, pain, screaming. And then, of course, the pained screams turn into laughter. And the vampire turns around and he looks at the guy and says, oh, uh, my heart is on my left side. And when he turns around, we see that the broom handle is sticking out of his left side. The guy buried it into his left side, uh, wrong side of the chest for the heart. And the guy says, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. But at that exact moment, he rips the guy's fucking head off his shoulders. So awesome. Absolutely loved it. Um, and th at the exact moment that he rips this guy's sh uh, head off his shoulders, two police officers show up. And this is the scene that Don was talking about earlier that's goddamn hysterical. Um, basically, these cops, they walk into the alley, they see the vampire holding a severed head, and then they see the dead bodies and body parts all over the alley. And, of course, don't forget, it's Halloween night. So the cops instantly start laughing thinking, oh, you know, this must be some kind of Halloween haunt thing that this guy set up in the alley, blah, 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 which doesn't really make sense, but whatever. And um, the cop, the one of the cops, um, the white cop, there's a white cop and a black cop, uh, the white cop basically tells the black cop, oh, g give me some pictures with the vampire uh, and the head. And the cop literally takes the guy's severed head from the vampire and starts acting like he's eating it, you know, like, ah, ah, you know, while the, while the other cop is taking pictures. Then finally, uh, a little bit of the blood uh, drips off the head onto the cop's hand. So after he hands the head back to the vampire, he kind of licks uh, the, the liquid on his hand. And he's like, oh, what is that, corn syrup? And then he tastes it again, and he's like, 
what the fuck? That's blood. That's actual blood. At this point, both cops pull their sidearms out, and they're both locked onto the vampire. Vampire doesn't know what to do. He can't turn into a bat. Um, he does have super strength, but apparently he doesn't want to just take out these two cops. So what he ends up doing is uh, doing his hypnotizing thing, where he hypnotizes one of the cops. Um, unfortunately, and this is something I never knew about vampires, apparently vampires can only hypnotize one person at a time, or at least in this world. So it's like he has one cop hypnotized by kind of pointing his hand towards him, and then the other cop pulls out his gun and points it at him, so then he switches to the other cop, hypnotizes him, the first cop comes out of hip, his, his, his hypnotic state, picks up his gun, points it at the vampire again, vampire start, then goes back to the original cop, hypnotizes him, while the black cop kind of comes to, comes out of his... Um, trance and once yeah. again puts the gun on the guy and then the vampires just going back and forth they do the slapstick comedy skit yeah it felt, literally going like, back. Uh, <laughs> it felt like almost three stooges esque here it was really oh, good I, I thought it was great oh no it's funny as hell i mean definitely one of the more laugh out loud moments in the movie absolutely especially when he's just going back and forth he's literally he can't figure out what he's going to do because he can only hypnotize one at a time they both have guns in their hands why a vampire is scared of guns is beyond me but you know i'll leave that one alone for now and uh, finally he just takes the severed head throws it at one of the cops while the other cop is hypnotized and then he runs away and then the cops give chase at this point, um, he's able to get away from the cops. Uh, he finds an open door in a random building, so he goes ahead and walks into the building, hoping to hide from the cops. We see the cops run by the window, and then the, and then the vampire starts walking around the building that he's in, and suddenly he's face-to-face with a, with a giant Jesus Christ crucifix in front of him. The camera pans out to show the vampires in a goddamn church, and the instant the camera pans out, he bursts into flame. Why didn't he burst into flame when he first walked into the building? I don't know. It's comedic timing, obviously, so... Uh, it, it, it's a sight gag. So, like I said, once the camera pans out, sees that it's in a church, he bursts into flame. He ends up running out of the church, and then he does the stop, drop, and roll thing that we were all taught in third grade. And it actually works. Go figure. He's actually able to put himself out. Of course, he is a vampire, so it's not like he's going to die instantly from pretty much anything. And... He's able to put himself out, but then right after he's able to put the fire out, the cops find him again, and once again they give chase. He starts running through the alleys until eventually an old-timey black car pulls up on the road. The door opens, and it's his, it's his woman. And instantly he's like, oh, my God, you came. And he jumps in the car, and they take off. And... um they start telling stories to each other, um, it's like little short stories, like, oh, you remember that time in, you know, wherever, you know, this reminds me of that time in, you know, whatever, Germany or Frankfurt or whatever, um, where they thought they were dead. It was another situation like this one where they thought they were done, uh, but they eventually they were able to get out of it. Um, and then suddenly the car stops. It just stops on a dime and what we see is morning rush hour literally the vampires are stuck in morning rush hour there's cars in front of them there's cars behind them so they can't get off the freeway 
excuse me. And at this point, the sun is literally about to come up. So I, I don't know how genius this is or not. I mean, considering there's buildings all over the place that you potentially could have picked, but they end up picking a dumpster. Uh, they end up running into the dumpster, jumping in just as the first rays of the morning sun, um, you know, uh, brighten the sky. And then they're in there, and and while they're in there, they're telling even more stories about, you know, uh, oh, this reminds me of that situation from this place that we got into and uh, we didn't think we were going to get out of. Suddenly we see the sun, the light of the sun, start cracking into the dumpster. And... Uh, the, the vampires kind of realize, oh, shit, we're not going to be able to keep the sun out of here. Um, and the sun is full on up at this point, so they have no choice. They can't get out of the dumpster. Um, unfortunately, uh, the sun eventually does rise at an angle where it's completely shining into the inside of the dumpster. And we hear, we hear the vampires scream. Then we see a guy, just a random guy with a bag of garbage walking towards the dumpster uh, he walks up to the dumpster, opens it up, and what he sees are two burned and charred skeletons. And they're in an embrace. They're literally holding hands. Quite romantic. Um, so, yeah, these two vampires died together the way they've been. They've been together for, what, I think it was like 150 years, the vampire mentioned, that he turned the girl 150 years ago or whatever. Um and then the guy, and this is the part that I don't like very much, is that they ended this segment with a dumb joke. But yeah, when the guy sees the charred skeletons in the dumpster, he says the same thing that the dog walker said earlier. Fucking Halloween. I hate this holiday. Closes the dumpster. That's the end of our segment. So what'd you guys think? <laughs> Absolutely love this. This is hysterical. Um yeah, there's some weird gags here and there that may not land. Um, I, I I was like you. I found the you know daylight savings trope to be really odd. Like, yeah. why would a vampire not be aware of that? But I, I mean, it's a little, it's a minor quibble. I mean, it's gory yeah. enough. It's funny. Um, the side gags usually work. I mean, the the church one is hysterical. The police the police enthralling sequences, death busting, and. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there, there, there's more to like here with this one than there isn't, so I, I, I'm fine with it. Yeah, yeah, I definitely like this one. Mike? Yeah, I thought uh, the, the comedic aspects worked for the most part, and I just love the fact that uh, the cops thought the severed head was just like a Halloween prop at first, and how that leads into like the hypnotism scene. Um, overall, yeah, I thought it was a pretty strong segment, and it, it kind of goes to like the greater my uh, the greater point I was saying in my general thoughts that I thought uh, to my surprise, I think some of the strongest parts of the movies when it actually did lean into the comedy because they did that yeah. well for the most part. Absolutely, totally agree. All right, so after the vampire story, uh, once again we're back to our wraparound story at the police station. Um, at this point, they're kind of looking through more of the artifacts, uh, the trinkets, if you will. Uh, this is also where they get the explanation of the bullet, the single bullet that they find there, you know, with the, the, the wood shavings of Jesus and the steel of the uh, nails, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then they pull out a blood vial. 
like a little one of those little vials that's maybe like halfway filled with blood. And they're like, well, what's up with this? Is this human blood? Did you did you take this from someone? And the guy's like, I'm not sure. It could be human blood. It could be animal blood. It could be something completely different. Um, but he does, of course, have a story to tell for that one. And then we are translated or translated. We are transported to chapter four. And this one is called uh, Nahueles, which is, of course, as I mentioned earlier, the Aztec word for skinwalker. And this one I know is directed by Gigi Saul Guerrero. It's funny because this segment is very similar to her segment in VHS 85 as well. You know, once again, kind of leaning into the aspect uh the Aztec mythology a little bit, if you will. So. Okay, so chapter four, Skinwalker basically starts out with a guy uh, dragging uh, a female body, not dragging, but like he's walking his horse and it looks like there's a a dead female body on the horse. Um, He ends up and he's looking around like he's being followed potentially. Uh, He ends up getting home. And then he takes the body of the girl. And this is the thing that weirds me out. He kind of chains her up. Uh, so obviously we're all expecting that, you know, she's going to turn into something or blah, blah, blah. But ultimately we never see her again. Never see her again in the segment. We just forget about her. So apparently there's this chained up woman in this guy's garage for no reason. Um, and just as he go- opens up the door to his garage, we see over his shoulder uh, a young Mexican kind of just kind of eyeballing him, you know, staring at him, definitely staring daggers into him. Um, our, our main character doesn't notice and just ends up walking into his house. At this point, he ends up calling the CIA of all people. And basically on the phone, the CIA has to verify his information, name, uh, address, birthday, place of birth, wife, um, kids, uh, their current status, blah, 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 blah to verify that the CIA is talking to the right person. So the guy states his name, states his place of birth, states his current residence, um, says that he has a wife who is deceased. Uh, He also has two kids that are deceased. While he's saying this, he's looking at a family picture. Um, So we see him and his family in the picture there. But then just as the phone call is about to end, He turns around and he sees that person outside the bedroom window just staring in again. He grabs his shotgun. He goes to load it. Why the shotgun wasn't loaded already is beyond me. But he goes ahead and loads it. By the time he loads it and looks back up, the person is gone. They're not at the window anymore. So this guy obviously knows he's in danger. So he basically decides to try to leave the house. He's slowly walking out of the house and then suddenly The guy shows up again, but this time it's in his house and he's probably standing maybe 10 feet behind him. Now, our our main character does not notice that he's there. He's walking, you know, very trepidatiously with his shotgun in his hand. But then suddenly this person lets out once again another deafening shriek, very similar to what the vampire was doing in his segment, but maybe just, you know, pitched a little bit differently. Um, and basically it's a, it's a banshee like screech because the guy grabs his ears like, you know, like they're in pain or something from the screech, blah, 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 almost like a banshee type situation ends up finally getting out of his house. But then he is attacked by three men and 
you know, they start talking very cryptically, you know, I didn't want, I thought I wanted this, but I don't want it anymore. Just leave me alone. And one of the guys, like the, the, the ring leader of the three guys basically says, mother is awaiting you. You can't get out of this. Uh, they knock him out. They basically knock him out. They take him out into the woods. And when he comes to, he's tied up in the woods and he's inside of some kind of circle. Um, I'm assuming a protection circle of some kind. The three men have tied him up and they're sitting there holding him down, um, you know, making sure that he doesn't get up. And then suddenly we see La Bruja, the witch, show up. And if you've seen Gigi Saul Guerrero's stuff before, the design of the Bruja is, you know, very similar. We've seen it before. One normal eye, one white eye, fucked up skin, gray, ratty hair, blah, blah, blah. Um, and she starts speaking very cryptically. And it's funny because Don earlier was saying that he's going to need me to explain this to him. Honestly, I don't have any, I don't have much of an explanation. Um, the only explanation I can come up with is just based on the fact that this segment is called Skinwalker. But like I said, we'll get to that. Um, the, the witch starts chanting, you know, magic words and starts talking about the history of, and then this is where she actually tells him what they are, that they are Nawales. And that they're ancient, they've been here forever, and um, she's almost talking like they're the good guys. Because she, she, she basically says good will always triumph over evil, even though the segment is set up to make them look like they are the evil ones and that the guy is the good guy. Eventually, after a bunch of cryptic uh, you know, dialogue reading and blah, 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 uh, the witch slits his throat with uh, a weapon, a stone weapon that she has. After slitting his throat, the three guys that are holding him down kind of start not like licking him, like licking the blood off him and blah, blah, blah. And then the, the witch herself starts to transform and you actually see her face start getting animalistic. You know, the nose starts turning into a little bit of a snout. Uh, the teeth start getting sharper, you know, um, we never see the full transformation. So I'm assuming that these skinwalkers have to have some kind of sacrifice for them to be able to transform, which that's, that's new to me as far as the skinwalker mythology goes, but I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm very okay with new rules as long as you establish them and hold onto them throughout the movie or the segment or whatever. So like I said, basically uh, they, they kill this guy, they slit his throat. We see that she starts to transform into an animal and then the scene ends and we see the four perpetrators again, the witch and then the three guys that are with her. They end up uh, going into a, a, like a house, like a hut. And inside the wall, like a part of the wall is broken out. And inside the wall are two bodies wrapped in plastic. We find out that these are actually the ancestors of these skinwalkers and that they're trying to resurrect these two bodies. Um, basically, I, I mean, again, this is up to, up to interpretation. Uh, what I took out of it was, you know, they need to keep killing people, keep sacrificing people, and then eventually they'll be powerful enough to be able to resurrect their two ancestors that are, you know, kind of stuck in the wall there. Um, and then the segment kind of ends. It just ends right there. So it, interesting segment. Once again, uh, Gigi Saul Guerrero's endings maybe leave a little to be desired. Um, 
she she does like her ambiguous endings, and there's not really anything too wrong with that. But I would have liked to have seen either a little bit more of an explanation of the ancestors, or maybe just a little bit more about because they never say the word Skinwalker in the segment, and they never technically uh, transform into anything. So if you don't know Spanish or Aztec, you don't even know what this segment's about, which is why I understand the confusion from Don. And, you know, anybody else who doesn't speak Spanish or know any Aztec at all. Um, you know, if, if you know the name of the segment, it might give away a little bit more about what's happening in the segment. But like I said, um, they change up the rules a little bit and, you know, kind of play around with the Skinwalker mythology a little bit. But like I said, that's the end of the segment. So, uh, yeah, I'll turn it to you guys. What would you guys think of this one? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think a little bit more about what the tribe actually is. Um, I, I think that's kind of the main thing with this one because I had no clue what was happening. Um, I actually thought they were the bad guys and they were trying to do like unspeakable things to him for like, you know, trying to cross the border and leave right. to America. Cause I thought that's what, you know, the phone call was, was, you know, setting up, you know, how he's going to get, you know, across the border into America. And oh, no, the phone call, the phone call was he was giving up information on a cartel leader and oh, he wanted that was. Yeah, he wanted the CIA to come pick him up right then and there, but the CIA is like, we'll pick you up in the morning. Obviously, the guy knows he's not going to be alive in the morning because he's being chased by these three guys. But, yeah, that's why he gets pissed off at the guy on the phone. He wants oh, to get the hell out okay. of there. Yeah. Okay, so, like, yeah, like I said, that makes more sense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, figuring all that out probably would have helped a little, but, I mean, yeah, there, there's some good stuff here. I, I do like what's going on, but, yeah, there's uh, not – knowing anything that kind of was the the big thing for me. Yeah, I can see that, definitely. Yeah, this uh this segment was alright. I, I did like uh some of the the practical effects used. Um I thought this is kind of an example where like there's a lot of good ideas in there but it didn't seem fully fleshed out. It it kind of flew by this segment like Yes. Not much story. It was just kind of like you're almost dropped into like a, a situation almost like in the middle of it. And it's like, okay, we're just kind of going for this journey with this guy getting uh, put through some type of ancient ritual in, in the jungle. And it's like you're, you kind of like what you're seeing. You just don't have much explanation or context for what's going on. So uh, that kind of hurt it a little. But I, I still like – enjoyed what I saw. I just wish it would have been fleshed out a little more. Yeah. No no pun intended. Ha! No, I, I totally agree. I would have liked to have seen a little bit, just a little bit more explanation. I, I don't need the whole thing handed to me on a silver platter, but give me a little bit more. And that's why I was saying that the that this segment is kind of similar to Gigi's segment in VHS 85, where that one is same thing, kind of ambiguous. There's an earthquake, and then suddenly the Aztec god of death shows up and starts killing this, you know, building full of TV um, cast and crew. So, again, she likes her ambiguity. She likes to let the viewer kind of make up their own interpretation, and I, I'm okay with that. So, yeah, um, not the best segment, but it's at a good place, too. I mean, the fourth segment out of six, so it's in a good spot. All right, so. At this point, once again, we are transported back to the police station to our wraparound segment. Um, 
The traveler. Um, oh, at this point, the cops ask him about the bullet again, and you know he goes through the explanation of the bullet, but he doesn't have a gun to shoot the bullet. And the and the guy basically says, "Well, I, I need a special gun," um, and he describes the gun to the police. And uh, the black officer says, "Wait a minute, I think we have something like that in evidence in, in the evidence lockup." She goes to the evidence lockup, unlocks it. And pulls out a very old timey looking handgun, almost like a musket style handgun. Um, but she doesn't take it. She just looks at it, puts it back in the evidence locker, locks it back up, and then goes back to the interrogation room to basically say, Oh yeah, we've got something like that here. Now obviously, uh, the traveler's like, Well, get it for me. I'll be able to protect myself against what's coming for me. And, you know, of course, Detective Arden jokes, Oh yeah. Well, we're just going to hand you a gun. You know, we're sitting here interrogating you uh, because we found you in a house full of dead Latinos. But, yeah, let's just give you a gun. Uh, so, you know, that little gag goes back and forth. Uh, and then we are transported to Chapter 5. And Chapter 5, this is the chapter with no title and a cold open. And what we get in this one is we see Jonah Ray. And uh, Jonah Ray from Mystery Science Theater 3000, if anyone is wondering. He's also a stand-up comedian. Um, he's been in a couple – I think he was in Christmas, uh, Christmas Bloody Christmas, the Joe Bagos movie, uh, a bunch of other genre stuff that he's done as well. He might have been in Scare Package too, if I remember correctly. Um, but anyway, yeah, we see Jonah Ray, and we see him walk into a just a random Mexican restaurant in El Paso – and he he's meeting someone there. He sees the girl that he's meeting there. He sits at the table and we find out that this is his ex-girlfriend and that this is the restaurant where she broke up with him. Um, but Jonah looks all messed up like he's got a cut on his forehead. He's got a black eye, a busted lip. Um, and, and the girl's like, well, what happened to you? And she and this is where he starts to go into his explanation. Basically, what happened is. A group of five friends, including Jonah Ray and his ex-girlfriend, went to a part of Mexico, like a, seclu a secluded part of Mexico, where there were tribes people there. And they went to watch a ritual, like a, you know, a, a ritual that's basically never been seen uh, by civilized eyes. And the, these people were given the privilege. They were actually given permission. It's not like they snuck in there. They were actually given permission to witness this ritual. Unfortunately, and, and then and they were told very specifically, no recording devices, no cameras, no nothing. You, you are not allowed to take anything from this ritual with you. Unfortunately, Jonah Ray uh, admits that I actually recorded uh, the ritual. And this is where he starts to go into his explanation of ever since we started to uh, – ever since I recorded that ritual and we came back home, all of the people in the picture have started to get picked off one by one. And they're all being picked off by different deities, uh, different Aztec deities like – one guy is killed uh, – um, one guy in the picture is wearing a red shirt, and Jonah's like, you see how he's wearing a red shirt? He was killed by the god of fire, and he was set ablaze. And uh, the, uh, his ex-girlfriend's like, wait a minute, was it an accident? And Jonah's like, well, he burned from the inside out, so you tell me. <laughs> uh, and then he says, uh, the next girl, you see how her hair is being blown by the wind to one side of her head? She was attacked by the demon of wind. 
And uh, basically, I, I think he said something crushed her. Like, like she was in an accident and something crushed her. Some, the wind blew something down and it basically crushed her. Then we see a guy in the picture, right in the middle of the picture, and he's got his hand on his crotch, you know, like he's grabbing his junk, you know, very Michael Jackson, if you will. And uh, basically he says, you see how he's grabbing his crotch? He was taken out by the demon of lust. And that, basically uh, he was having sex with a woman, and uh, he didn't give an exact explanation, but what he said was the girl's vagina must have been made of uh, saw blades because he was basically a stain on the ceiling when they found him. So he's, he's having sex with a woman and he must have just like exploded or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Or the woman he was having sex with was the demon. Now, at this point, that means that the only two people left are Jonah Ray and his ex-girlfriend. He starts to go over that theory that um, the demons would show up and that they would possess their friends into killing one of the other friends. So you, you know what I mean? Like the first guy would be possessed by the demon of fire and then would kill one of the friends. And then, you know, I, I, the explanation was a little weird, but it, it basically was talking about a series of possessions. And that's when Jonah Ray is like, well, or no, excuse me. At that point, the ex-girlfriend's like, well, wait a minute. If we're the last two people left in the picture, does that mean that one of us is possessed? And Jonah's like, yeah, yeah, I, I kind of think that's the case. And uh, basically, uh, you know, Jonah basically says, well, I know it's not me. And, you know, you were kind of the leader of the expedition, which would make sense that you would get possessed by the zombie king, uh, who is basically like the head demon in this, you know, little cult or whatever that they were watching the ritual from. And basically says, yeah, you're probably possessed by the zombie king, which means that at some point you're going to attack me and rip and try to rip me limb from limb. And then she's like, she laughs, of course, and she looks at him and says, well, what makes you think that? And he's like, uh, <laughs> instantly he's like, well, the restaurant that we're in right now has been closed for a couple of years, and I knew this. Now, the restaurant is full of people. It, it looks like it's open. People are being served food, blah, blah, blah. As soon as he says that, as soon as he's like, oh, yeah, this place closed down a couple of years ago right after we broke up, the, suddenly all the people in the restaurant disappear, and the restaurant looks like it's been abandoned for a couple of years. It's dusty. The tables are all flipped over, except for the one that they're sitting at. And this is where the girl, uh, the ex-girlfriend, finally tips her hat. She basically applauds him and says, very nice. I did not think you'd be able to figure out figure out what was going on. Um, and then the fight starts. Basically, they just start fighting back and forth. Um, she basically says to him, so what's your big plan to try to take me out? And Jonah's like, oh, I've got a couple of things lined up for you. And then right when he says that, uh, we, we hear a shotgun go off. Uh, apparently he had a shotgun under the table and he shot his ex-girlfriend in the face. Of course, it doesn't have, you know, we see physical damage, like there's there's gore on her face, but she's not really affected. She's still standing there. Jonah basically empties the shotgun into her, shoots her one more time in the face, shoots her in the chest, shoots her in the leg. Um, finally, he's out of shells in the shotgun. He puts the shotgun down, pulls out two fucking Uzis, and then just empties both Uzis into the demon girl. 
Now, while she's getting hit with by bullets, yes, she is reacting in the sense that, you know, she's, um, you know, recoiling and whatnot as she's getting hit by the bullets, but she's not going down. Finally, the Uzis run out of bullets. He throws the Uzis down, and then he pulls out a handgun, like a Desert Eagle, like a big-ass handgun. Unfortunately, he's not really able to get a shot off before the demon finally attacks him. And then this is where the demon transforms into its true form. So it, it no longer looks like its ex-girlfriend. Now it looks kind of like, I don't know, something out of Enemy Mine, where, it, yes, it looks demonic, but it's not like over-the-top demonic, like big horns and flaming eyes or anything too crazy. Just kind of, you know, almost like an alien, like a gray alien, but just with slightly more detailed features. And, and some very small horns, not big ones. Um, so anyway... He's uh, uh, he's fighting this thing, and finally the demon's like, did you actually think you had a chance to win? No human weapon can defeat me. And Jonah Ray looks at him and smiles and says, you're right, but I got one thing that will hurt you. And then he pulls out this, like, cudgel or club, if you will, and hits the demon square in the face. The demon goes flying across the room. And Jonah's standing there. Uh, the camera is, fix, is fixed on his upper half, so we can't see the weapon in his hand. And suddenly uh, we get a story within a story where basically Jonah Ray now starts conveying the story of how he got this weapon uh, to beat, you know, to defeat the zombie king. Uh, basically once two of his friends were dead and he realized what was going on, he decided to go see a shaman and, uh, this, you know, shaman medicine man, I mean, a, a modern guy, I'm not talking about like some dude out in the jungle. I mean, like he has a shop in the city, you know? Um, and basically he starts talking about, uh, so what do you've got coming after you ghosts? And you know, they're like, no, no worse than ghosts. And he's like, demons. And they're like, no, no, worse than demons. And he's like, Satan? And Miguel, uh, Jonah Ray's friend, Miguel, is like, well, maybe a little bit below Satan. <laughs> Think about that. They don't actually tell him eventually. But then he starts talking about, I have a weapon in the store that should be able to help you defeat any demon. And, and then that's when we get the title card. Fucking after all this has happened, we finally get the title of the segment, and it is The Hammer of Zanzibar. Now, uh, while, they're at the, while they're at the shop um, talking to this guy, like I said, he starts talking about – he starts relating this story. So now it's a story inside a story inside a story. Yeah, fucking Inception here with all the different segments. Uh, so the store owner is starts telling them a story about how he used to dabble in black magic and that he would try to summon demons. Um, he was never successful, but then one day he finally was able to um, conjure up a demon, and the demon that he conjured up was Popobawa. And if you look up Popobawa, it's actually a real... Uh, demon or evil spirit in um, Aztec mythology. And basically, um, it says here on good old Wikipedia that Popoboa um, is the name of an evil spirit or Shatani, which is believed by residents of Zanzibar to have first appeared on the Tanzanian island of Pemba. 
I know a lot of that information really doesn't mean anything, but basically it's a demon. It is a known demon. And what happens is the first time that this guy summons the demon, the demon uh, basically has his way with him sexually. Yeah. And basically the demon and I'm not I, I don't think it was a rape necessarily because it seemed like this guy wasn't really fighting it. And he and he basically he, he had well, the later ones he actually he actually right. brought it back. So Yeah. But on this one he's like, as the demon was inside of me, I started to find out who I was. I knew more about myself. The demon knew more about myself than I even knew. Uh, blah blah blah, and then he <laughs> then he admits that he cu- he summoned the demon nineteen more times after this first encounter, and that every time the demon came, he would fuck him harder and deeper than the last time, and that every time it would happen, he would learn more and more about himself. He doesn't explain what he means by that; he just says it. I learn more and more about myself. Finally, he says after the 19th, or I guess at this point, the 20th time that he's summoned the demon, the demon stops showing up. He can't seem to summon the demon. Um, he tries over and over and over again, and he can't do it, and he starts to get frustrated. Finally, one day, he does the ritual and is able to get the same demon to appear again. And <laughs> this is where it turns into almost like a relationship story, because uh, the guy is upset that the demon hasn't Uh, been around lately if you will and the demon tells him well you're not the only person who summons me you know and instantly uh the store owner like you could see his face get upset like he's been cheated on he's like that's that's why you haven't come to see me because you're seeing other people and you know he's like well i mean you know the demon is like other people summon me you know you summon me if you can summon me anybody can summon me so blah 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 anyway um, the demon basically tells him, look, you're not going to see me anymore. This is the last time I'm going to come to see you. Whatever you were trying to figure out, you know, hopefully you can figure out. And then he said the demon disappeared, but that the demon left behind, let's say, a certain piece of himself uh, to there at the scene. And that's when the guy opens up the case to introduce the hammer of Zanzibar. And yes, my friends, it is a four-foot cock. Uh, I mean, it's it's stone, or well, maybe it's petrified wood. I'm not sure. Uh, it, it, it it was probably flesh while it was on the demon, but then maybe when you know when it got detached from the demon, it hardened or whatever and turned into a weapon. And now this is the hammer of Zanzibar, which can be used to defeat demons. Okay. Um, At this point, um, Jonah and Miguel are both like, you know what? Uh, I don't think I want to hear any more of this story. I'm not going to touch that fucking thing. I mean, this thing was (laughs) massive. When I say three to four foot dildo, I'm not kidding, my friends. This thing was huge. Um, So finally, they're leaving. They're literally on their way out of the store, and Miguel starts talking real cryptic. Don't forget, uh, the first two friends are already dead at this point. So at this point, there's only three people left, Jonah, his ex-girlfriend, and Miguel. But then Miguel starts talking very cryptically, and he's like, we're going to fuck your soul. And Jonah's like, excuse me, what the hell did you say? And that's when Miguel turns around. His face is now distorted. He's got white eyes. And like I said, he looks like the very first demon that we see in Drag Me to Hell. 
um, during the seance scene. I was very surprised. I mean, it screams Raimi as soon as you see it. I mean, Mike said it. I said it. It's, it's, it's absolutely Sam Raimi style. He ends up getting into a fight with Miguel. Um, eventually Miguel gets the best of him, throws him on the ground. Miguel is about to, uh, go on top of him to do the, you know, his final death blow, if you will. And then suddenly his head fucking explodes. <laughs> like out of nowhere, the demon's head, like, you know, it, we don't see it on screen. Like the camera's pointed at Jonah and then we hear like a pop, you know, like something hard hit something else fleshy. And then when the camera turns back, the demon has no head. And we see the store owner holding the goddamn the demon cock in his hand. And he looks at Jonah and says, see, I told you it works against demons. And that's what, and then Jonah, of course, trying to be funny, instantly says, okay, how much you want for it? I'll take it. Blah, blah, blah. At this point, we're now transported back to the restaurant and... Jonah ends up getting the upper hand on the demon. You know, he's winning the fight. Finally, he gets on top of the demon. He straddles the demon who's on the ground. And he 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 picks up the hammer and smashes the fucking demon's head into a bunch of fucking pieces. Just a, just a nasty mess of flesh and bone and brain. But then suddenly, right after he does it, he kind of comes out of his fog, and then what we see is the restaurant is actually filled with people, and they're all fucking dead. Uh, I'm not sure if the demon did that or if Jonah Ray did that, but yeah, literally. And of course, at that exact moment, the police arrive. Um, they tell him to drop the weapon. He starts to say, oh, it's not a weapon. It's a dill. And right when he says dill, a cop tackles him, and that's the end of the segment. We are transported back to the uh, uh, police station. So, guys, tell me, how impressed were you with the hammer of Zanzibar? Um, uh, I almost forgot to chime in there for a second, but uh, that's Alejandro mm-hmm. Brujeres' segment. Brujeres. Brujeres. Yeah, director of One of the Dead. Oh, yeah. Um Pretty fun. I liked it. Um, great mythology. Um, I love the backstory here. Um, probably would want this to be a great. Um, I would want this to be a featured lead segment. I want to see the backstory. Uh, maybe not the nineteen times, but um, I, at least one of them I think would be kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I do want to see this one fleshed out a little bit more. Um, yeah, yeah, the, the rainy influences are thick and thin. Uh, love the gore here. And, yeah, I, I mean, what can be said? Um, using a three-foot demon dick is one of the greatest weapons I've ever seen in a movie. So, yeah, um, yeah, I, I really had fun with this one. It's one of my uh, favorite segments. I thought the scene in Deathgasm when they kill all those zombies with a giant dildo was funny. This was even funnier. Yeah, <laughs> definitely remind. Yeah, yeah, Deathgasm is a great comparison. There you go. Uh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, the the cool thing about this segment, other than just how fun it is and kind of the Raimi tribute stuff, is that we kind of get the best of both worlds because there's enough here to make it like a fleshed out uh, anthology segment, but there's also enough there that. Um, I think like Don alluded 
two out of all the segments, I feel like this potentially has the one for like a fully fleshed out movie if they ever decided to like adapt one into a full length feature because this almost feels like the 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 story has that strength already and just you know add in some more and you you got a ready made movie uh, already so I had a lot of fun with this one as well. Yeah. I mean, the only thing with this yeah. one is that, you know, again, like most prequels, um, you're kind of, you know, shooting yourself in the foot because you know how it's going to end. Because you've got to end up with the, you know, the crew that stumbles upon the ritual being killed off, and you've got to leave the two, uh, three of them alive anyway. So, I mean, that kind of is going to be a little bit of a downfall, but yeah. overall, I, I, yeah, I, I really think this was a fun one, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. One of the better segments of the film, absolutely. And the fact that you hear the term uh, will fuck your soul about a dozen times just makes me smile. So, <laughs> oh, what? And then, and then right before he got his head smashed, what did he say? Something like, we'll fuck your mother's heart, I think, which is like, what? How do you fuck someone's heart? But there you go. Yeah, I, was, I, I think the demon, the, the demon distortion kind of takes the wind out of that one because I couldn't figure out that one either. Yeah, we'll fuck your mother's heart. Okay, cool. Enjoy. All right, so. We are transported back to the police station one final time, and this starts uh, the final chapter, chapter six, known as uh, San La Muerte, which is, of course is Saint Death, or, uh, yeah, Saint Death, or Saint of Death, if you will, one of those. Uh, what we see is, um, we see the Traveler still in the interrogation room. And basically, he's like, dude, we're out of time, man. If you don't let me out of here right now, you're all going to die. And, you know, because he's been talking about the God of Death uh, or the Saint of Death the whole time and you know, how this thing has been chasing him for uh, generations and that he's always ahead of it. He's always a few hours ahead of it, never more than 12 hours. So he can, he can never really stay in one spot more than 12 hours. Um but yeah, he says, if I stay in one spot for too long, the thing catches up to me. You know, the saint of death catches up to me. And then just as he says that, the lights go out. They start to flicker in the police station. Then we're transported to the front entrance of the police station. And we see this tall, thin figure um, dressed in a black leather duster and a black cowboy hat. Very, very much looking like Jonah Hex for any of the comic book readers out there. Maybe not the face, but just the overall look. Uh, very Jonah Hex looking. Um, and then what we see is uh, this entity, whatever it is. It has a kind of a humanoid face, but it's wrinkled. It's very pale. Um, the eyes are very, you know odd looking hard to explain necessarily but uh what we see is uh the saint of death will raise its hand i mean this thing doesn't even have to make an effort all it does is it raises its hand and it possesses one of the cops to then pull out its weapon and start shooting people in the room basically he he has one cop clear out the entire front lobby shoots everybody in the room and then we see the uh the gun uh the cop pu puts the gun to his own head and pulls the trigger killing himself this is the scene that me and mike were talking about with all the cg gun um wounds and just you know like i said it, it, because there's so many in this scene it starts to get a little monotonous so at this point the saint of death starts working its way through the police station um if anybody even gets near him, you know, he can kind of 
throw him to the side by just kind of wisping his hand sideways and they go flying. Um, he continues to possess random people. He possesses one cop to start shooting all the other cops and then it shoots himself. He has another police officer who looks like he's transporting um, criminals from one prison to another because they've got orange jumpsuits on. Um, he possesses the cop to then shoot them and then shoot itself. And then at this point, uh, the saint of death actually transforms. So rather than looking like this badass cowboy Jonah Hex looking dude, he starts to turn into a much more traditional looking Aztec demon. And I say this because we've seen it in Gigi Saul Guerrero movies where, like I said, with VHS 85, we see the God of death in that segment. This thing doesn't quite have as much flesh as the creature. And this thing is kind of thin. Uh, we see its ribs, it's emaciated, but it's, it's eyes. Like it, it doesn't have any eyelids. So it's eyes, uh, have the you know no color the small little pupil in the middle um it it the thing has no lips so its teeth are constantly exposed it doesn't have a nose so it's got like the you know the spot there with the missing nose I thought the creature design on this thing was fucking awesome. I loved it. I, I liked it when it first walked into the police station, but then when it transformed and it literally looked like an evil saint, you know, because it, it, it kind of had a headdress like a Pope would wear type thing, you know, very religious looking. Um, I thought it was just cool as shit. Um, so like I said, at this point, um, the traveler is like, get me the gun, get me the gun. The two cops that have been interrogating the whole time are witnessing all these cops shooting each other and then shooting themselves. So they start to understand that, oh, shit, this guy was telling the truth the whole time. Uh, the black police officer, she runs over to the evidence locker, grabs the gun, hands it to the traveler. He loads the one bullet into it, points it at the demon, at the saint, excuse me, the saint of death. Um, fires the gun, um, shooting the demon in the shoulder, which I thought was kind of taking a risk because he's only like five or six feet away from the demon. Like, why not shoot it in the face or the chest or something? Um, but apparently it doesn't matter. Uh, he shot it in the shoulder and then we see the saint of death start to kind of dissipate and turn into dust from the spot of the bullet wound, uh, all the way out to the rest of the body and the God of death disappears. At that exact moment, we hear the traveler say, I got to get out of here because that thing's going to be back. Basically, he didn't kill it. He just kind of sent it back to hell. Excuse me, sent it back to hell. Um, so the thing is going to continue its pursuit of this guy until it finally gets them. Uh, we see the traveler uh, walk out of the police station in a police uniform. He actually throws a police jacket on so that he can get out of there, you know, without too much uh, trouble. Uh, grabs a car out of the parking lot and starts to drive away at that exact moment. Another police officer basically pulls them over, you know, turns on their lights, pulls them over and says, uh, you in a hurry for something, buddy? And the guy says, uh, well, yeah, if I'm not out of here in 90 minutes, we're all going to die. And that's where the movie ends. So basically, right where the movie starts, it ends. Um, so it seems like he's just going to go through a loop of getting arrested, going to police stations. Um, but like I said, he only had one of those bullets. So I'm not sure what he's going to do the next time uh, the saint of death catches up to him. But uh, 
There it is, folks. That is Satanic Hispanics 2023. Well, 2023 in this region, technically 2022 in Mexico. It did come out last year. We just didn't get it right away. And that's it, folks. That's our anthology. Like I said, a fun time. Um, I don't necessarily think that this is going to turn into like a classic anthology that I return to every year or every couple of years. Um, but I definitely can see myself watching it again, you know, maybe a few years down the line or whatever. But I still say this is definitely one that needs to be experienced. Check it out. Uh, like I said, if you know a little bit about uh, Mexican and Aztec mythology, it might help a little bit. If not, uh, just enjoy it for, you know, for face value. Enjoy the gore, enjoy the kills, enjoy the creature design, and uh, enjoy the comedy especially. You know, there are two very funny segments in here. Uh, so, yeah, I recommend it, and that's it for me. Back to you, Mike. Yeah, I did like the wraparound. I liked the conclusion of the wraparound, and I liked how it kind of set up for – a possible sequel, like uh, if, yeah. if we if we don't get one, it's fine. It's still a cool ending, but um, I like how the and, and it's also set up for like the traveler to end up yeah. in like another predicament where he's telling more stories. So I kind of like the way that was designed. Pretty pretty neat there. Uh, yeah, um, when when they uh, when the cops pulled out the bag of trinkets, like I said, he had it over a dozen trinkets in there but mm -hmm. we only get four stories so there's obviously a lot more stories to tell <laughs> nope. oh plus whatever he grabbed from this situation that, that was one thing i was kind of hoping that to see if he would like grab something from here because it seems like every time he has a situation he grabs like a little trinket or something but i i didn't notice him grab anything this time around um, I mean, unless you count the gun, like maybe maybe he kept the gun, even though he didn't have another bullet for it. We don't really technically see that, but, you know, it's up to interpretation. So there you go. Yep. <clears throat> All right. Uh, that's going to do it for our chat on Satanic Hispanics. So uh, before we get out of here, let's find out where else we can be heard. Venom, you did just complete a, a big guest spot, so why don't you share with everyone what you did? Yeah. Uh, before I get to that, though, definitely to go over the No More Room in Hell stuff, uh, the main show, episode 48, right? 48 or 49 is uh, our, still our latest episode. Um, planning the – we already have our movies picked out for the next episode, but just trying to find time to get together and record it. Um, no More Room in Hell Creature Comforts, episode 20 is now available, where we looked at um, the giant spider invasion from 1977. Look out for our December episode, where we, unsurprisingly, will be looking at Godzilla Minus One, which actually, as we record this episode, I am three days away from going to see it. I already got my ticket for the Thursday night premiere. So I am very excited, uh, and I will definitely be seeing it multiple times this weekend. So, uh, yeah, uh, hopefully we'll be able to get together to review that in the next week or two, definitely before the Christmas holiday. And then, as far as my guest spot goes, I was on, after a two-year hiatus, um, I returned to the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror podcast, uh, basically, um, they have a new host there, uh, Tyler, who has replaced Jeremy. 
Uh, JP and Moods are still the main hosts there. And this was, of course, Italian Horror Month, which this was my third appearance on 22 Shots during Italian Horror Month. I guess I'm turning into a staple for them for Italian Horror Month. And on this episode, we looked at films by Massimo Papillo. And those films include uh, Terror Creatures from the Grave. Uh, that's the American title. The Italian title is Five Tombs for the Medium. Uh, let's see. The second movie is The Bloody Pit of Horror, which is the only color picture of the three that we're looking at. Even though all three came out in 1965, which is the first time I've ever done that, ever done like two or three movies from the exact same year, but have them be drastically different. Like all three of them are very different from each other. And they were released like in a six-month period, so Massimo was definitely busy in 65. Um, and then the third movie we looked at was called Lady Morgan's Vengeance, which was probably my favorite of the three that we looked at. Even though Bloody Pit of Horror is one of those so-bad-it's-good movies, you know, the main character, the Crimson Execution is such an over-the-top goofball that it makes it entertaining. <laughs> and he loves screaming, I am the Crimson Executioner! He says it like eight times in the goddamn movie, but yeah. Um, but still a very fun movie despite its... Uh, um, and it's the only one of the three with actual nudity in it, too, so that's kind of cool. And, and of course, these are all Italian horror movies, so you know the women in these movies are freaking gorgeous. Barbara Steele is actually in... Terror Creatures from the Grave. Barbara Nessie is in uh, Lady Morgan's Vengeance. Um, I forget the big name actress who's in uh, Bloody Pit of Horror, but there's a few of them in there, and they're all freaking gorgeous. So, yeah. Uh, give me uh, a second. So, I can look up my Blu-ray one second. Awesome. So, yeah. Um, I'm not sure when that episode's getting, re uh, getting released. Like I said, we recorded it just last night. Um got done in about three and a half hours, which is actually pretty short for 22 shots. I've had some pretty marathon sessions with 22 shots, four, five, six hours. I think seven is the longest I've ever been um, on 22 shots when I actually joined them for a top 10 of 2019 episode. The thing is, is that they had six total hosts on the episode. So that's six people going over a top 10. So that's 60 movies that we all talked about extensively. So yeah, that episode, I, if I remember correctly, it was near seven hours. So, um, but yeah, this one was a lot shorter and definitely fun. Um, you know, I like Tyler, the new host. He's really fun. He's very, very intelligent, knows a lot about, um, Italian horror and, you know, just cinema in general. He's very solidly a cinephile. So, yeah, definitely check out the new 22 Shots crew. And when that episode is available to download, I will let everyone know. And that's all for me, folks. Yeah, I didn't even realize Tyler was like a new regular co-host. I know he's been on like lately, but... Uh... Yeah, he's cool, like, from what I've heard from him. He's yeah. enjoyable. I, I guess last night was his fifth episode with the with the guys. Well, his fifth episode as a permanent co-host. So, yeah, he's working out well. I, I, I had a good time with him. Sweet. All right, Don, you got anything new? Uh, yeah. Um, so far for Venom, the uh, one that I'm looking at is uh, Luis Barrett, which uh, I don't know if that's uh, an Americanized name because – yeah, Sounds everybody. Familiar. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that's an Americanized name because they put the American credits on here since it says directed by Max Hunter. 
Yeah, that's the other thing, too. All three of the movies that I talked about, Massimo doesn't put his real name on any of the three. Two of them he uses a pen name, and one of them he gives the producer uh, directing credit for it because he was so unhappy with the final product that he didn't want his name on it as a director. Apparently, he didn't want his name on anything as a director because he used Max Hunter a lot in his career. I was looking through his uh, filmography, and yeah, he likes that that name, Max Hunter. Well, it's just the Italian thing where they would um, anglicize their names just to make them appear um, American or British. Yep, absolutely. So yeah, that's the uh, that's the Italian standards uh, at the time more than anything else. But yeah, um, yeah. as for actual podcasting work, um, the Creature Comforts episode is available. Uh, Looking forward to uh, the upcoming episode doesn't begin to describe my anticipation for it, so uh, I'm really excited about that. And uh, the only other thing is uh, we're right around the corner from Season 3 of Horror Countdown. So uh, I've already put out the call for new guests. Um, I've already got some lined up and uh, some interesting topics. Um, Although uh, by the time you hear this, I'll probably have a few more in store. So, yeah, uh, just looking forward to uh, doing that and getting everything going. So, uh, yes, that's uh, pretty much it for me. All right. Um, As far as me, nothing out new yet, other than obviously the latest fresh cuts before this one. But um, I got some stuff in the works, I think. Just don't want to announce it yet. Uh, as far as our next episode, I think we'll be back to VOD because, like, as was already yeah. mentioned, uh, the new Godzilla movie will be for you guys for creature comforts. So that leaves us with plenty to choose from from VOD. No decision needs to be made right now because there's just a ton, a ton available, and there'll be even more by the time we record next. Um, yep. The only, I'm trying to think theatrically speaking, the only thing I know the rest of the year is I think all the creatures were stirring, but I don't even know if that's wide to begin with. So, I tend to think it's not because I... I don't know why Venom is groaning like that. It's the follow-up from the guy that did the cleansing hour. Oh, no, no, no. I, it's the title of the movie that I was poo-pooing. Oh, I haven't okay. seen the movie, so I have no idea. Obviously, I haven't seen the movie. Um, there was another movie with that exact same title from a few years back that I hated. So that that was that explains my oh. reaction. <laughs> oh, wait, isn't that that anthology that Rebecca McKendry started to do? Exactly. I fucking hated that movie. I yeah. Think, was it? I don't know if it was the exact same title, but it had creatures were stirring or whatever in the title. Yeah, something Yeah, else. I just hated that movie. <laughs> yeah, this is an interesting part of the year because it's like, I don't think there's a lot of horror releases yet, but there's a lot of non-horror releases that I want to see. So it kind of works out for me just because I can't always get to the theater more than once a week. So, like, I want to see, uh, I think it's called Silent Night, the new John Woo movie. I want to see the new Godzilla movie. And then there's some, like, indie movies, like uh, Anatomy of a Fall, um, that new Emma Stone one, where it's kind of, it kind of looks like a modern, more whimsical take on the Frankenstein story. I want to see that. So, I don't know. We'll see. Um, and then we'll probably make a decision, because I think the past couple of years, 
we've kind of been cutting off new episodes what around the middle of December and just saying let's use yeah. the last few weeks for prep for the top ten show. So we might end up doing that um, this year too. We'll probably decide in the next week or two like when exactly we want to make the cutoff. But other than that, uh, that's pretty much it for this episode. So thank you everybody for listening again. It's almost been another whole year of Fresh Cuts episodes. So uh, we will be back in about a week's time with our next episode. Until then, thanks for listening. Let's say bye to our listeners. Later. If you can avoid it, don't piss off Aztec gods. I, I think that's just a good rule of thumb. Yeah, and if you come across a traveler, go the other way, because they usually aren't bringing <laughs> anything good into your presence. <laughs> Eh, presents. He said presents. It's presents, yeah.